Thanks for joining us for our online worship experience. We are so excited that you chose to worship with us here today. Our goal is to share the gospel with our community, our church family, and online viewers like you. If you live in Savannah or the surrounding area, we would love to meet you in person at our Savannah campus, 1624 East 38th Street. Remember, resources like this are meant to be supplemental, and community with other believers is so important. So, come to church. If you like what you've seen today, visit our website, citychurch.life, or just click the link in the description. Today is Father's Day, and uh, we're going to dive into the Word. Uh, has anybody noticed that, uh, uh, that when Mother's Day comes around, like everything is, you know, it's flowers and pretty, and, and like we've got the, the boutique in the back. And then I was thinking about like the traditional Father's Day message. It's like we just, we come and we just like punch all the men in the throat and tell them to grow up, right? It's like this totally drastically different <laughs> approach. Maybe that's why so many of the young men went to go be with their dads today. Uh, but uh, hey, listen, in case you were wondering, I'm still going to punch you in the throat, all right? So, <laughs> no, nah, maybe. All right. So, uh, so here's what I hope to do. I hope to present the gospel in a way uh, or present the word today in a way that encourages us, that challenges the men in the room. And for the ladies, uh, what I hope that it, uh, uh, oh yeah, so there's a good picture I'd thrown in there of Mother's Day, right? Because like just such a different image from what's uh, about to happen in the room. So uh, ladies, if you're a mother, today should be encouraging to you. If you're a wife, it should be encouraging to you because uh, I'm going to use the scripture to kind of talk about like the role of a man. And so uh, the encouragement is that this should give you some tools and resources to be able to uh, uh, encourage the men in your life, to be able to help raise up the men in your life. And ladies, uh, if you're single in the room, uh, it can set some expectations for you. You can save yourself a ton of heartache if you will just look at what the Word of God says about what a man should look like, act like, and if you will just go, hey, that's the man I'm waiting on. If you'll wait on that guy, you'll save yourself a lot of heartache, I promise, because what we end up doing is doing a lot of counseling with uh, married couples where uh, the guy is a loser. And I mean, I don't know how else to word it. Can, can I tell you guys something? I, 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 I've had moments in my life where, uh, anybody had a moment where somebody said something that you were like, I can't believe they said that, right? You ever had that moment where you're like, oh man, I can't believe they said that. Can I tell you something? I have never had such jaw-dropping moments in my life as I have sometimes when I'm doing marriage counseling. If you need marriage counseling, it's okay. Come on, I'm, I'm, I love being shocked, right? But there are times I walk out of those counseling sessions with my wife and I'm like, I didn't know that existed. I didn't know that was a thing, right? There are things that I hear that uh, are going on in people's lives and we wanna work through those things. We wanna see people uh, find freedom, but there are times where I'm just like, I, 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 I didn't know they did that, right? Uh, and so uh, uh, I've had guys sometimes tell me something like that and they could see the shock in my face. And then they have said, look, I can show you, give me a computer, I'll show you how to do that. And I'm like, are you crazy? Why would I wanna know how to do that, right? I didn't even wanna know that that part of the world existed, okay? So, so here's the call. The call is get out of the darkness, men, get into the light, 
own who you are, take responsibility for your actions. Look, look, this is the truth, okay? We can, we'll look at David in a moment, and David, who is the greatest king Israel has ever had uh, as, a, as a just 100% earthly man. David did great things, but David walked into some tremendous darkness where some tremendous evil took place, and he repented, and, and he found favor with God, so much so that Jesus shows up on the scene and says, David was a man after God's own heart. So can I tell you that even if you're in some of those dark areas, right, there's light, and you can find your way out of those dark areas. So we're going to talk about a biblical filter today. In order to get to this place, ladies, of being encouraged or being able to create expectations or men in your own life, how to be reborn, how to be transformed. We need to have a biblical filter. Uh, a filter is something that, uh, uh, that, that we use to process something through. So if we use it in the, in the instance of water, we'll put water through a filter, and the filter's goal is to pull out everything that's unwanted, anything that's undesirable, so that what comes through on the other side is good, is healthy, is right. And so the Bible can operate as a filter in our lives, in our homes. Uh, we, in our home, Carmen and I have used uh, uh, filters when it comes to raising our children. And so we have put together a, a mission statement for our home that our kids would know Jesus uh, twice as well as we do, that they would love him twice as much as we do. And then when opportunities come in their lives, we run those opportunities through the filter. And so my kids will come and say, hey, dad, we want to go see uh, Twilight and I'll I'll say, does that help them love Jesus twice as much? Absolutely not. And so we said, you can't watch Twilight. I mean, he was four at the time. Uh, but, you know, uh, so we use that filter to help just to kind of separate out uh, what we do and don't do in our home. Uh, can I tell you, men in your life, if you'll use the Bible as your filter, it'll help you when you're making decisions on how it is that you should act, how it is that you should talk, how it is that you should live your life. Now, uh, when it comes to living as a man, uh, there is a spectrum of how men live, right? Uh, and we have different types of men that act different ways, and society uh, kind of sits on what I would say are both ends of the spectrum, uh, and, and there's a big divide trying to uh, draw men onto either side. Now, I, I, I want to point this out. Like, if you, were to, if you were the enemy, right? Let's just say that you were the devil, and you wanted to, uh, you know, prevent a man from stepping into his destiny, if you wanted to prevent men from being good fathers and good husbands, if you wanted to prevent men from being, uh, you know, the types of people in their community that redeem and rescue, uh, then, then you would uh, deploy tactics that try to prevent them from being good, right? And so you would not put all of your tactics on one side of the spectrum. No, you see, the, the reality is, is that if, 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 if the enemy can get men to go onto either side of the spectrum and not be into the middle where God's called them, he wins, right? And so I want to talk about the kind of the two opposite ends of the spectrum as I see it. And the first one is that men must be macho. Uh, this is uh, something that uh, is really challenged today by what I would just say is like mainstream media uh, trying to challenge this macho-ness. Uh, I, I think probably a lot of guys uh, in the room 
grew up in a little bit of this type of household. Any, anybody, uh, did your dad, anybody's dad ever, ever tell them like, you know, like, come on, you, you can push harder, hustle up, don't cry, don't be a wimp, uh, don't, don't act like a baby. Anybody ever have that before, right? So, so, uh, uh, I, I, I've heard some of those things. Let me just pause real quick in case my dad's watching. Happy Father's Day. Uh, I'm not saying this as a negative. Uh, my dad pushed me and because of that and because of the love he showed me. I am in part who I am today uh, because of that. So this isn't about disrespecting uh, our dads, right? Uh, but the truth is that we, we have a culture, especially in America, that sometimes, or a portion of our culture, that pushes uh, young, uh, young boys to, that there's a certain way to act like a man. And, and we find this even on the, uh, on the, in sports, on the field. I know you find it hard to believe. Uh, I played baseball when I was a kid. Uh, uh, Technically, it was t-ball, but you know we'll go with baseball. And uh, I remember hitting the ball and uh, taking off down the bases and listening to the coach uh, yelling, "Hustle, hustle, hustle!" Um, it wasn't for years later until I learned what that meant. I just thought that he was yelling profanity at me uh, as I was going down the bases. Uh, but but there's this there there can be this mindset for 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 guys. It's like 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 the only way you can be a man is if you're really macho and tough and 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 if you if you can you know if you can take a punch to the face and not cry then then you're a man. And and, and there are attributes of that that are okay, right? But the truth is, is that being macho doesn't make you a man. We'll get to that in a moment. In fact, I would say that macho-ness uh, kind of leads to uh, sexual impulsiveness. Uh, with that macho man mentality uh, comes this like prowess for uh, sexual conquest. These are the guys who, when, when you're sitting in the cafeteria in high school, it's those guys that are really macho that are talking about who they're sleeping with and, and how they're going to trick this girl to sleep with them. And, and, and I remember being in high school myself and sitting there and listening to guys who would talk about uh, females and this idea of conquest. And these were the guys who, who were big and tough and thought they were bad to the bone. Uh, and ultimately, I think that this macho mentality, when unchecked, leads to misogyny. Uh, and there's a, a group of men who see themselves as better than women, better than females in general. And then the other side of the spectrum is men and women have no differences. Uh, this is th this idea that there's no distinctions. Uh, uh, a common term used right now in our society is this idea of being fluid. It's like, what's the difference really between a guy and a girl and and guys should be okay with that. And guys should be okay with the fact that, you know, maybe they're a little bit more feminine and maybe uh, it's okay for, you know, a girl around you to be a little bit more masculine. Uh, and so the idea births this, that there is nothing for the man that is not for the woman and that there is nothing for the woman that is not for the man. So in order for us to fall on this side of the spectrum, we have to come to this kind of conclusion or this, this idea, this, this place of thinking that says, uh, uh, that, that, that there's nothing between me and God uh, that is for me that is not 
for everybody else, that there's no distinction, there's no separation. This side of the spectrum, I think, just like that of the idea of being macho and big and bad is a very dangerous one. It creates sexual confusion where we would say that macho creates sexual impulsiveness. Uh, guys who set into this type of ide- ideology, they cre- it creates sexual confusion. Uh, deleterious, it becomes like this mindset or this way of living and it's this way of harm and damage. Uh, And so I want to look at the biblical filter when it comes to this spectrum of how men should live. What does the Bible actually say about how a man should live his life? And believe it or not, the Bible actually talks about this. The Bible actually talks about how men are to act, how men are to treat women, how men are to live in their communities, how men are to be bosses when it comes to their employees, where they work. There is a tremendous amount of uh, teaching for men about men. And so I want to take a look at some of this very briefly. I'm not trying to hold you uh, very long today. Uh, the, The thing I want to say here, the biblical filters proves to us that being a male does not make you a man. And I need to make that distinction for you today. When I talk about being a man, I am using the definition of somebody who loves Jesus, honors Jesus, honors the teachings of the word, and they live their life in such a way that it is evident to the people around them. I think about uh, Boaz. We've been going through the book of Ruth. Jim McLean and Caleb have already brought the first two chapters of that. Thank you guys. I know I saw Caleb in here a moment ago. Uh, and thank you guys for, for doing that. Boaz shows up on the scene. And I love this passage in there that, that uh, Ruth is out. She's gleaning. Boaz shows up. He owns the field. This is his field. These are his employees. And he could show up and be like, hey, do what I'm telling you to do. The people could do what most people do when their bosses show up and scatter and run and pretend like they're working really hard and then whisper and murmur to each other, man, I hate my boss, he's in blah, blah, blah. But that's not what happens. Boaz shows up on the scene and the workers stop and it says that they praise God for Boaz. Can you imagine being the type of boss, the type of leader that when the people that you're over see you, they stop and thank God that you're in their life? right? To me, that is a man. That's what it looks like to be a man, right? And I would say that if that's not what you're striving for, if that's not the identity you want to step into, you fall into this idea of just being a male, not being a man. And can I tell you that a male falls into this idea of macho-ness or into this idea of of being uh, fluid, no distinction, but real men look at the scripture and they put it in their heart and it causes them to step out and live differently. First Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to look here, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And this is what he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, right? I have lost control of my clicker. Verse 14, hopefully will pop up. Oh, it's dancing. Oh, I think we're all doing it. All right. So let all that you do be done in 
love, right? So let's tear this down for just a moment. Paul is clearly speaking to a group of men. If not, then when he is speaking and he says, be men, that would be a little bit confusing to the ladies, right? So he's, he's definitely speaking to a group of, let's just say males. He's calling them out to be men. So I want to say that distinction does not mean inequality, all right? Having a distinct command from God, a distinct calling from God, a distinct expectation from God in no way creates inequality. It simply means different. It simply means different. We can get this when we look in our homes, right? We, look, we get this when we look at siblings, all right? And, and, I, and I interact with my four children. If I were to interact with them all with the exact same language, tone, creativity, and it was just a mirror from one to the other, I promise you it would create confusion. Because my little girl, Caitlin, whom I love, does not react the same way that my oldest son, Isaac, who's 17, reacts, and not the same way that my youngest son, Ezra, right, who's seven, reacts. They all need to be loved differently. But different does not create an inequality. It doesn't mean that I love one more than the other. And this is a brokenness inside of us because can I tell you, siblings often come to this conclusion because they look at the different ways that parents interact with their siblings and they go, that one's their favorite. They love my brother or my sister more than they love me. But can I tell you, as a parent, that is not true. I love all of my children equally, but I interact with them and therefore love them differently. I heard one guy say it this way. He said that sometimes our children make it easier to love them than other children. And so sometimes some of them just make it really easy and some of them it takes a little extra effort, right, when it comes to love. But it's not a measure of inequality. And so we have to, this is something we get when we're removed from it. Like we can look at that from the outside and go, oh yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. When we're in the midst of this, this becomes a struggle, but we have to be able to be mature enough to go, yeah, just because God's calling a man to act this way or, or saying this to a man does not mean that there's some equality with the woman. And the same, when God is speaking to the women in our lives, the mothers in our lives, as men, we can't go, well, God just clearly loves them more. God's not creating inequality. He is creating distinction, okay? So Paul is telling the audience of brothers to act like men, not boys, women, or animals. He's calling them out and telling them to step up to be more than a male, to be more than just some, some dude who is in this state of existing and uh, some type of maybe position of conquering. So what does he say? Watch this. He says, number one, be watchful. So, so he gives some instruction for the men, right? He says, be watchful. So I looked these things up. So in the Greek, this is uh, be a Gregoriite. It means that I am awake in the night, watchful and vigilant, okay? It means that I am somebody who is not watchful because I think an enemy is coming. That's easy. Like if somebody were to come and tell you, hey, tonight there's gonna be somebody break into your house, you're gonna be prepared for that, right? 
But what the scripture teaches men is that we are to be uh, attuned to our surroundings at all times. And as you get older and you have more that you're responsible for, does this not naturally become the way that you live your life, right? Uh, now that I am married and have four kids, like I'm, I'm more in tune with my surroundings. When we go to a restaurant, you know, my preference in a restaurant is to sit where I can see the door. I just naturally want to be able to see who's coming and who's going. I, I have this need, this, this, this like this draw inside of me that I feel responsible for my family. And so I need to be watching what's happening around them. Number two, he says, stand firm in the faith. I really liked this. Uh, this, this word is uh, stiket, and it, it is to stand fast, to preserve, to be stationary. Do you know that this is, this is, this is madness in the world today? The world today wants there to be constant change and we need to be, nothing that we're doing is good enough. We need to, we need to be making change all the time to make things better. But, but literally Paul says that when it comes to the gospel presentation, when it comes to your faith, what you believe in, he says, be stationary. Do you understand that your faith does not have to take on this evolution of figuring out how to fit into the world around you? And yet, for some reason, every generation wrestles with this, right? It's like, we've got the gospel, we know what God said, but we see that the world is doing this and doing this, and somehow we've got to reshape the gospel to fit into the world, and that's not the call. The call is that we stand firm in the gospel so that the world will step into it, step into the gospel. And so he says that as men, you need to be the first ones that are watchful, and then you need to be stationary when it comes to the faith. Don't try to have a give and take type of faith. The third one here, he says, act like men. It literally translates to just be brave. Don't be a coward. Don't be somebody when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to your family that runs and hides, but be somebody who has the audacity to stand up and speak the truth. Listen, bravery isn't just about running out into the, into the, you know, into the night to chase an enemy. Listen, it takes bravery to be the type of person who preaches the gospel and leans into the gospel at work, right? It takes bravery to be the type of person that's a believer, a man of God, everywhere that we go. It takes bravery to talk about Jesus. And he says, be, act like a man, because a man is somebody who is brave. And then the fourth one there, be strong. It means to strengthen, to empower. And this is really good too. Do you understand that when it comes to being strong, it's not just about like you being some muscle guy that can take a punch. The, the, the translation here is that you empower others. If you're gonna be a strong man, then the type of man that's strong is the type of man that empowers others. You are looking for people around you that you can give authority to, that you can give blessing to, that you can help to mentor and raise up. And so Paul, speaking to these guys, he gives them some instruction on how they are to live. Why does he do this? And I would say that the reason that he does this, and this is something that, 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 that I think is true for, for every man, is that men wrestle with a tremendous amount of shame. When we are removed from God, when we are removed from our identity in Christ, we second guess ourselves. 
I can't tell you how many times I get into a low place in my life where I'm just not in the word, I'm not singing the songs. And I'm telling you, this, this idea of shame, it just becomes something that's overwhelming. Those voices from my past telling me I'm not good enough. The voices from my past telling me that I'll never amount to anything. You, you, you want to do this, that's not possible. And I, I think a lot of men wrestle with this. And, and because we wrestle with this identity issue Paul, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, comes in and says, let me address for you some identity things because you wrestle internally. Because on our own, we cower away. On our own, we either go to macho or to total like give up. But to be in the middle is a difficult thing. It takes an intentionality. And so Paul is encouraging the men here and watch what he, he, he says. He tells them that they can do this, that they can own their own weaknesses, that you can be brave, that you can empower others. And the way that you do it, uh, oh, well, is verse 14. I'm, my slides, I did this. Ha ha. Train of thought here. I'm gonna get to it. Let all that you do be done in love. How do you do this? You, 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 you have to learn how to love. That's the truth. And until you learn how to love, then when it comes to being brave, it's just gonna be being macho. Until you learn how to love, being strong is gonna be about how, how mighty powerful you are, not how empowering you are to others. You see, we have to learn how to love. Uh, it's interesting, uh, this idea of bullies here, uh, bullies, they don't expect to be punched. So uh, for me, when I was a kid, uh, I, I've shared this before, but I, 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 I was, you know how they make movies and in the movies you see how they'll pick on a kid? Like that was me. I was bullied really hardcore uh, in first grade. Uh, anybody ever have like moments in your life that you just, you just will never forget, right? I remember standing out in front of the gymnasium at uh, uh, Chalkville Elementary. It's this little elementary school in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, uh, this kid uh, who would always call me uh, uh, fat and call me four eyes. And uh, I, I don't know how, how it normally worked for everybody, but we would oftentimes line up to go do something. And then we would get to uh, maybe the gym before we were supposed to be there. So we would have to stand outside for a few minutes waiting on that transition. And uh, so one day my teachers, my teacher had done this and the teacher went inside. And so it's just the kids standing outside. And this one boy, he, he starts going, uh, acting like he's holding a can. Uh, the movie Free, well, Free Willy had come out, right? And so uh, they had been trying to say, raise money to save the well. So he starts going up and down the uh, line going, you know, uh, free, uh, uh, save the well, save the well. And then telling everybody that I was a well that he was trying to save. And, uh, you know, that did a, that did a lot of, uh, uh, I had a lot of emotions in that moment. Uh, I got super uh, angry. Uh, I also was very embarrassed being out there in front of everybody. And, and the truth was that, you know, for, for six-year-olds, I was the chunky guy out there. So, you know, I was straight up uh, the one that was going to take the, the brunt of this. And, and, and so uh, I, I, I moved from first grade all the way to seventh grade, and uh, I, I dealt with this all the time. I was just the, the kid that was picked on. Uh, and I remember being in seventh grade, and I had a, a teacher who, uh, she was uh, Miss Thomas, she was pregnant. 
And she left the room, and this one kid uh, uh, wadded up a piece of paper and threw it and hit me in the face. And uh, I, uh, like, like, I don't know what to, how to explain it. Uh, I just, I had this, like, like, moment of, like, you know, enough is enough. And so I looked over at him, and I was like, don't do that again. And he was like, or what? And I was like, I don't know, or else, you know. Uh, I don't even remember what I said. And he just wadded it up right in my face in slow motion and threw it. And I jumped up so fast, my chair just slung back in the room. And he jumped up. And I, uh, I just want to tell you, like, the thing I learned through all of this, and this is bad probably, is don't fight fair, right? So... <laughs> I, the very first thing I did is I landed a kick in, in the no-no square. Uh, that's some parenting for you right there. And uh, that pregnant teacher came in screaming my name, and she's holding that baby. And I just, I unleashed on this guy. Like, I'm just like, like just pounding on him. And uh, I, a bully doesn't expect to be punched. He didn't know what to do. Like, like, like at that point, that was all he could do was just like throw the paper. And so we got up to the vice principal's office and uh, I can't tell you how many times I'd been in there on the receiving end. And the vice principal said, uh, asked what happened. And so I told her and she said, is that what happened? And uh, he said, yes. And uh, he was bleeding on his face. And, and she said, uh, she said, uh, she, she told me to go back to the, to, the, to the classroom, and she suspended him and not me. I think I'd go to jail today. Is that how it works, right? Um, uh, but at that point, uh, you know, I got home, and my dad and my mom were just thankful that I had stood up for myself, right? I had been in this place of just real abuse. And, and can I tell you, like, like, like the ability to stand up that day, that didn't make me a man. Uh, it did make some of the guys second guess whether or not they were going to pick on me. Um, not all of them. In fact, uh, Carmen and I were dating. Uh, we were uh, 17 years old, and that was the last time I got into a fight. Uh, a guy at school came up to me and uh, was saying something, and uh, uh, that was the first time in my life and the last time in my life where I threw the first punch uh, because of what he was saying. And God did a real work in me after that, and I actually went to these guys uh, in school and apologized to them. And uh, none of them knew what to do with that. But I, I went and I told them that, uh, you know, that uh, as a believer in Christ, the way I handled myself was incorrect. Uh, and it wasn't about me going and calling them out. You understand that? Like I wasn't going and going, hey, what you did was wrong too. I just went in and owned it in front of these guys and told them that, uh, hey, you know, me, hitting you the way that I did in the moment that I did. Now, can I tell you something? I'm not going to lie to you, and you just need to know this about your pastor. If you come in and you're attacking my wife and, and you want to fist fight and it's my wife and kids, I'll fist fight with you. You know what I'm saying? And I won't fight fair. I'm just going to say I won't fight fair. If you've seen Taken, you'll understand. All right? All right? So I'm just saying. But, but in that scenario, God did a real work inside of me because that was not what it meant for me to step up and become a man. That wasn't what needed to happen. God began doing a work inside of me. Now, I will tell you that last year I was telling the story to my kids and I realized we have Facebook. So I looked up one of these guys and was like, I wonder what he's doing. And the guy who was doing the Save the Well thing, 
His Facebook profile says that he's divorced. He's about 350 pounds, bald, and sells used cars. I'm just saying, if you're watching, I love you. <laughs> Men are separated from males through the managing of their shortcomings, right? It's not about the shortcomings of the men around me. It's about how I manage my own shortcomings. It's about how I manage who I am. You see, I can't manage the men around me. I can't make the guys around me love Jesus. I can't make them correct their, their, their own shortcomings. I have to manage myself. And Paul gives instruction on how it is that we're to do this. You see, the biblical filter filters out the macho-ness and the fluid idea. It pulls it apart and gives distinction and puts a calling on a man's life. Can it do that for a woman? Absolutely it does that for a woman. There's plenty of scripture where God is speaking to the women and calling them out in a distinct way. So what do we know? David slayed a bear and a lion with his hands, right? But David also played the harp and wrote poetry. See, David didn't live his life on either side of that spectrum. David lived his life in a position of being repentant before the Father, wanting to be a man of God. And all for what? Because at the end of the day, we have to let all we do be done in love. And can I tell you that if we as men can learn how to genuinely love other people, we will grow we will be transformed. You see, we can shave, we can have sex, we can go to work, we can even show up at church, but that doesn't make you a man. None of those things make you a man. They're not the identifiers of a man because the world is filled with guys who show up and do these things, but they don't step into manhood. I take my daughter on daddy-daughter dates is what we call them. And this is what we do. Uh, I'll take her out. In fact, we did it for Valentine's this year. We went over to, uh, uh, what's the, uh, not, not a, Carabas. We went to Carabas for lunch. And uh, so we, she gets all dressed up. I get dressed up. We go. I get her door. We go inside. Uh, I buy her flowers. And we sit there and she can order anything she wants on the menu that she's old enough to order. So she, she can order whatever meal she wants, right? And so she'll order and we'll sit there and I'm all ears and we're talking and I'm telling the waitress that we're on a daddy-daughter day. And I mean, I'm just, I'm putting it all in for her. And this is what I do. Every time I take her on a daddy-daughter date, I tell her, I say, listen, the way I'm treating you right now is the way that a guy should treat you. And one day there's going to be a guy and he's going to show up. I just, I just have to believe there's going to be a guy who shows up and he's going to be able to shave and he's going to, be, he's going to go to church and he's just not going to be a man. He's going to be a little boy and you're going to be able to tell because of the way he treats you. And I joke with her all the time and I tell her, I say, all you have to do in that moment is go, my dad's a better date than you. And then pick up the phone and call me and I'll come and pick you up, right? Because I, I genuinely believe that she deserves a man, just like I believe that my boys should be men because I believe that there is a lady out there for them that deserves a man. And that's what I'm raising them up through what I consider to be the biblical filter because a man has unique responsibilities, distinction, does not equal inequality or oppression or dominance in any way. 
Distinction means I have a relationship with God and God's calling me to greatness because he loves me the same way that he loves his daughters. Look here in Colossians chapter three, uh, verse 18. Just a few more verses and we'll wrap up here today. Uh, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting uh, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them, right? He doesn't come into the conversation and say, hey, y'all, do it like this. He speaks to the ladies and he speaks to the men, right? Because the women and the men have distinct relationships with God and can, can, can women be harsh? Yes, women can be harsh, but God feels that there is a need to speak to the harshness in the man's heart at this place, in this moment. Yes, I, I, I will say women can be harsh, but I, I'll have to tell you that I think men, men can, can raise to levels of harshness that are, that's embarrassing. Men can say things that they don't even mean when it's coming out of their mouths. And not just to their wives, they can say it to their children. They can, they can fill their lives with regret. I adopted a policy very early on as a dad of quickly apologizing when those moments happen when that harshness rears up and, and comes spewing out of my mouth as quick as I can to stop what I'm doing and say, I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong. I didn't mean it, and I'm sorry, and you deserve better. And my kids will tell you, they've all had those moments where daddy has come in and sat down and apologized and said, what I said was wrong. I shouldn't have said it. Were you wrong in what you did? Yeah, you were wrong in what you did, but I blew, I just, I blew the roof off the building. I came in and you acted like, like, you know, like a five-year-old and I acted like a two-year-old. And so for that, I apologize because I don't want harshness to be that by which I am remembered. Men need to be called to surrender and to fight. You see, we can't just be people who are surrendering and we can't just be people who are fighting. We have to learn when it is time to surrender and when it is time to fight because men have a harsh nature. And God knows this. And so God speaking here in Colossians addresses it. My, my final section here in Ephesians 5 Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This section of verses is, gets heavily misquoted. And, and here's, the, here's the damaging thing. Those few verses get pulled out by people who want to, who want to tear down the faith and they just take those, those verses by themselves and see, look, God is a misogynist. God doesn't care about women. Look, God, this is the reason that men are abusive is because God calls them to be abusive. The problem is that it's, it's, it's uh, uh, contextually delinquent. It's, it's not true. It's not what the passage is saying. It's not the instruction that's being given. You see, what's happening is the Holy Spirit's laying down a little bit of a foundation here about the role and responsibility that a man has because it is a heavy burden and there's clear direction that moves on here. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does this look like, right? 
This isn't about me just straight up like dominating on my wife. That is not what it is about. It is about me loving her and loving her the way that Christ loved the church. You know what? Christ loved the church in such a way that he sat there in the garden of Gethsemane praying and pleading to the Lord saying, if this cup could be taken from me, let it be so, but not my will, your will be done. All the way to the cross. You see, this isn't a call of dominance. It's a call of surrender. It's a call for men to lay down their lives, to live in sacrifice, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. There's a tremendous amount of responsibility that sits on the man if he's going to love his wife the way that Christ loves the church. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You can clearly get a measure of a person's self-worth by the way that they treat their wife a man that's disrespectful to his wife, a man that is rude, screaming and yelling and violent. He doesn't care about himself. He has no self-worth. But a man who loves his wife, he finds value in himself. He sees himself as a son of God. He sees himself as having a royal inheritance and a responsibility. You see, a man is not violent or abusive. A male can be, a little boy can be, but a man who's stepping into the type of manhood that God's calling him to be, they are not violent. They are not abusive. This is what the scripture says. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus here, specifically talking to this group of men, he talks to them about the way that they are to love their spouses, the way that they are to live their lives when it comes to the women who are in their lives. The problem is, is, is that I can't make every guy step up to this. I can't make every, every guy that, that calls City Church home step up and live their life this way and love their wives this way. And, and we put a tremendous amount of time into calling men out, into calling men up, but I can't make it happen. You see, there has to be something that transforms inside of the guy that, 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 that is birthing inside of him that says, I want to be in right relationship with God and therefore I will live my life like this. And speaking from my own personal testimony, my own experience, can I tell you that, 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 that there's a transition that takes place that as you begin to step into to manhood, as you begin to step into this place of loving your wife this way, it's not, you're not gonna be perfect. You're not going to get it right every time, but what you're gonna discover is that you begin to love being in that place. And when you have those moments where harshness creeps its way back in, when those moments, when, when you do things you regret and they find all of a sudden you're gonna feel emptiness in those moments instead of strength. You're gonna to begin to go, I don't, I don't wanna be here. That's what draws me over to repentance. It's what draws me over to say, hey, I'm sorry, the way I was talking, the way I was acting, I don't wanna be like that, I wanna be a better man. 
because as I'm as I'm walking in that right relationship, as I'm working in that right relationship, I begin to find fullness in who I am. So you see, while speaking to men and women, God gives them different instructions. Can I tell you, in a world that talks about toxic masculinity right now, we can take all of the world's definitions and we can throw them away. They do not matter. Men, rise up and be men according to the word of God and don't give the enemy any room to be able to call you out. Let the enemy be called out by the way we live our lives. Let the world around us have no evidence in which to point their fingers, but instead have them sit there, jaws on the ground, speechless, because we're living in a way that they don't believe men can live. I don't need the commentary of a broken secular world when it comes to how I live my life and raise my family. My relationship with God, his word in my life, the relationship I have with my spouse, the people I call brothers and sisters in my life, that's where I find my value and my influence. Iron sharpens iron. I want to go out of this world, a sharpened sword, ready to take the enemy's head off. Men, you're called to sacrificial love over and over and over again. He says, do these things in love. Right here, he says what? Love your wife the way that Christ loved the church, prepared to sacrifice. Men, we are called to love and we are called to do it sacrificially. What does that look like? That means that we do it because it benefits us and because it benefits the woman. My wife benefits when I love Jesus. She reaps the harvest from that. Her life is made better because of that. And I express sacrificial love to her through the way that I manage finances. Sometimes, sometimes, let me tell you, I'll give you a really easy, very vain way that this works. Sometimes my wife comes in and just wants to be pampered and go get uh, a pedicure and a manicure. And sometimes in the budget, that means that I don't get to buy that thing that I was hoping to buy. Can I tell you something? You won't find me going, well, Carmen, if you go do that, it's fine. I won't get what I want, never. I just put that thing on the back burner and I go, you know what? The budget this month says you're worth it. Go do it. Sometimes we can't do it, but when we can do it, I say, go do it. And then she says, well, you know, if I go do it, Caitlin, she's going to want to go do it too. And then I go, There's, I'll put that other thing on the back burner too, because pedicures and manicures are not cheap. <laughs> and I say, go do it. Go take her. We make those sacrifices. We give up those things. Why do I do that? Because I want her to be arrayed in splendor. I want her to be beautiful everywhere she goes. I want the world to see the gorgeous, beautiful flower I see. I want her to be loved and I want the world to know that I love her. And the second way we do it is physically. And we, we definitely have a culture right now that wants to talk about like the female hero, right? And, and, and the need that, that, that we don't need men. And, and that's fine. That's fine. I, 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 can't, I can't get behind it myself. Are there women that can beat me up? 
Yes, I am sure there are plenty of women out there that can beat me up, but that is not what goes through my head at two o'clock in the morning when something goes bump in the night. I don't lean over and go, Carmen, you're so strong. Can you go and see what's going on? Maybe take Caitlin with you. You girls, y'all are strong, independent women. I got you. I believe in you. And if I did that, you'd all think I was a bum. It makes, it makes great media. It's a great idea to kind of get out here and talk about it. But at the end of the day, the expectation is that if somebody's breaking into the house, I'm going to be the one that walks out there to defend my family. And that's not about being macho. It's about sacrificially loving my family, making sure that they're safe making sure that they're protected. It shows itself in so many different areas. Ready to what? Lay down my life. I pray all the time, God, give me the endurance to live a long life. I wanna see my children's children's children. I want to be there to invest in my grandchildren. I want to be there to be a beacon of light in my great grandchildren. But God, if, if it is so required, know this, without hesitation, I would lay down my life so that tomorrow would be theirs. I'm gonna tell you, that's what it looks like to be a man. That's what it looks like. So why are we given this instruction in our lives? Because naturally men can be harsh and we can be angry, but we're called to be submitted to love Right now, we have uh, some people who are coming to present uh, uh, the men in the room uh, with what we call the man card. Uh, so if you're a man in the room, stand up. I'm gonna let you claim it. We'll, we'll, we'll call you out later if you're not. Come on, all the men. Donald Gardner, you best stand up. I know y'all call you by name over there. So every year we give the men what we call the man card. This is the man card. You get it today, but if somebody in your life thinks you're not acting like a man, they can take it from you, all right? So you get your man card. Keep this in your wallet. In fact, I need a man card. Every year I get left out. No, Quinn, I'm not taking your man card. This is your man card. Do you have, oh, you have an extra man card. All right. They have different sayings on them. We've done this. I think this is our fourth, fourth year to do the man card. Right? Everybody talks about how like, you know, you got the man, we created the actual man card, all right? What this card says to the women in your life is that I'm going to live sacrificially. I'm going to love when it's difficult to love. I'm going to surrender when God says surrender and I'm gonna fight when it's necessary to fight. I will be a beacon of light in my world. I will be a man of God. That's what it says to carry this with you. Let's go ahead, everybody, and stand to our feet as we close today. First thing I wanna do is uh, take a moment and pray for those in the room who do not know Jesus. You're not living for Him. Your life's not a depiction or a reflection of Him. Or maybe that's you online, you're watching right now, and you are not living for Christ. Uh, with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment, 
The scripture says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Coming to the saving knowledge of Christ is not about making some uh, uh, obstacle course completion in your life. No, it is about surrendering in order to step into the fight. And so if that's you in this place today, I want you to pray with me. If that's you online, I want you to pray with me right now. And you just pray this prayer if you're ready to surrender and you say, Jesus, have your way in my life. I surrender all that I am to you. I recognize that I need a savior. I cannot save myself. I recognize that when I try to do things on my own, I make a mess out of things and I want to be set apart. I want the distinction of being your child, of being your heir. And I thank you for the work that you'll do in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.